0: When Andy asked me if I would be willing to preach this Sunday I answered yes without thinking what it would be the text or the Bible text or the readings. I said yes because I thought it is Valentine's Day and I could preach about all those beautiful things like love, red roses, and those kind of things. But then, he sent the second part of the message, and it says, Transfiguration Sunday. And then I started to worry. And then the nervous came, and I was reading the Bible text, the gospel. Jesus, Peter, James, John, high on the mountain, having this vision. Jesus transfiguring, even the English words are difficult with his clothes becoming dazzling white, then Elijah, Moses, and then finally the cloud, and even more, the voice in the cloud. But I'm more familiar, and I like much more the Old Testament. I like Old Testament is concrete. There are facts, history. The first line of the Book of Kings was, and then the Lord took Elijah up to the heaven in a whirlwind. So, I had to deal with these stories about transfiguration. My biblical studies are grounded in historical critical exegesis, or interpretation. I have been working with biblical interpretation asking for the sociological, sociological, the political, the economic grounding of the Biblical text? What is behind in terms of economy, in terms of society? What is that that is embedded in in the text that can determine the composition of the text, of the texts that are in the Bible? But the text of this Sunday, all the texts are more complex They are describing, the the, the simple reading or thinking about the political economic context will not help, will not be enough to understand that language of transfiguration. What does transfiguration mean or could mean for us today? So what I'm proposing here today is just one approach. It's a possible interpretation. I understand this hermeneutical exercise as a suggestion. What are these texts provoking in me, in my understanding as a subject, as an agent of interpretation, with the context that we are living today? How how this narrative is interacting with the social, historical, political, cultural moment that we are living in our society today? This is the question. And this is the beauty of ancient biblical texts. They are alive because they are interacting. They are in dialogue with us, with our reality today. This is the methodological consideration that I would like to say at the beginning to, to enter in this thematic of transfiguration. Jesus' transfiguration then cannot be approached with this assumption that we can explain it with a logic from one plus two is equal three. Uh, it means that we need to draw us in, in uh, some place which we are calling abnormal, unnatural, like the burning fire that does not consume when uh, Moses first encountered God in the book of Exodus is that language, image of not understandable with simple words. It is about Jesus in his glory, in his divinity. It is not about his daily activity as a teacher, as a leader, uh, walking with his disciples, teaching Casting out demons or casting out money, money changers in the temple. It's not simple like this. This transfiguration is something extraordinary, the dazzling, the shining aspect of Jesus, which we are not so much used to talk about, to read about, and far from understand with our uh, language or with our many languages that we name as normal. To be noted that the meaning of transfiguration is somehow different from transformation. To be transfigured is to be changed in outwards, in an outward form, in appearance. Jesus' transfiguration does, does not alter his, who he is, his essence, but it gives to those who see him a different perspective. With transformation we tend to mean a complete change in the essence, in the composition, in the structure. Jesus on the mountain with Moses and Elijah is not transformed but transfigured before his disciples. It is about how he is being seen, how he appears to his disciples or how these disciples are perceiving him. This experience of transfiguration is then talking to us about faith. It is about the wonder that faith provokes in us. It is that marvelous, sometimes magnificent experience, that, that faith can bring in our daily lives. When we are alone, when we are surrounded by insecurity, uncertainty, not sure about the future and what the coming days are bringing, but we still, we keep hope. We still hope. Is this transfiguration, is this kind of metamorphosis when a crisis, it will be transfigured in a butterfly. It is not changing, really, the essence, but is the way what we see becomes different. It, and is this what we see beyond normality in life when faith is open our lives? Is faith is, shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. It is saying in the letter of Hebrews. Even without seeing the colorful butterfly, we know, we hope, we wait in hope that it will come, it will open, it will appear. We will see and then we will wonder. Here are some impressions when I was asking some people around me about their experience of wonder, about their experience of being surprised, breaking this normality of our days today. For those who like snow and skiing, they might be very happy to these days, being enveloped by the white majestic of the mountain express this wonder. And it will be perceived with this amazing smile of happiness in the face. The wonder compels them to share with others as an attempt to divide this feeling of beautiful. Being in the midst of the woods in the silence of the forest, in the company of the trees, the wind moving the leaves. This is provoking that wonder of how we as human beings are insignificant. The forest, the trees, the wind, all will continue to move with or without our presence. Or when we feel that first breath of our child, of our newborn child. This magic interaction that human relationship can provoke on the skin with interchanging eyesight. In the experience of these disciples high on the mountain, Peter wants to encapsulate that moment. He wants to stop, to hold that moment that wonder. He wants to capture the feeling, making it perennial. Let us build three tents and let us stay here, is Peter saying. This is the temptation, is try to capture what is just to be a shining moment as to become then normal in our life. Then, if it is perennial, if it is encapsulated, the shine might be gone. And as the dazzling luminous white fades behind the clouds, the brutal reality takes its place. It is in that ordinariness of our very human, daily, painful, daily life, that the virus is still circulating, contaminating, scaring us and keeping us away of wonder, of surprise, of togetherness, of communion in congregational life. As we feel bored, alone, trapped in confinement, deprived to see those whom we love, missing affection and support, to be in a real relationship, in physical presence. We miss this shining light, breaking what, it, what now we call normal, normality. We miss real smiling faces to share wonder of birthday hugs. We miss laughing together, or we miss Terry laughing here with us. We miss coffee and tea time together. How we miss it. And so many other moments that we are missing. We are filling that hole in our hearts. But then there is is still this strange feeling of being bound together in love. A voice which keeps saying, whispering to us, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen, the beloved. It might be because we understand transfiguration in a bizarre and unusual event. We would think that it it is supposed that we should approach this transfiguration with reverence or amazement. But the gospel seems to tell us in a different way. Maybe even Peter's reaction in trying to bring it to a normal life, to build a normal tent, is something that brings transfiguration to our daily life. For God, transfiguration seems to be the opportunity time, the time when God can declare love for the one that is called son. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him, which is then very parallel to the text of the baptism of Jesus in Matthew. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I take delight, says God. At the transfiguration then, we are in the presence of delight. The delight the is an aspect of the holy, says Mary Gordon's meditating on this text. The transfiguration is about God whispering, in tender holiness, my son, the beloved. This scene then is a reminder that holiness. The glory of God is to be shared, to be felt, seen, experienced. God loves, so God interacts. God's glory and love felt in that smile, in that wonder, in that hug. This holiness expresses itself in self-giving, for that what happens when someone loves and celebrates someone else. This is all what I wanted to preach, all about love, in Valentine's Day, one love, one heart. Listen to him, to the beloved. Take delight in Jesus as God expresses this delight, we gain a little more insight in God's divine glory. Shining smiles out of the darkness. God's glory. Sunny brightness among us. Warming our relationships. Making us smile and feel embraced. So we know that the gray clouds above us surrounding us sometimes, are not enduring forever. They will dissipate. The shining sun will come, will warm us, embrace and send us back, revigorated, re-energized. Amen.